Tonight, that crazy anti-Trump resistance movement, Canada's liberals are copying it in their war against Doug Ford. It's September 14th and you're watching The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon Why? consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here and you won't give them an answer. You come here once a year with a sign and you feel morally superior. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. I read a story today on a website called iPolitics, and it got me thinking about the kind of political campaigns we're going to see in Ontario politics and federal politics. Can I take a few minutes on this story? The headline is, MP says only liberals can protect cities from conservative belligerence and contempt. <laughs> Let me read the first few sentences. A Toronto area MP says only a re-elected liberal government can protect Canadian cities from the contempt and belligerence of conservatives. Okay, so nothing really out of the ordinary there. I'll read some more. On the sidelines of the Liberal Caucus retreat in Saskatoon Thursday, Spadina Fort York MP Adam Vaughn told iPolitics that any skepticism about his party's 2019 election strategy of running against former Prime Minister Stephen Harper should be put to rest because people like Ontario Premier Doug Ford are reminding voters of Harper's ways and will make the contrast with Justin Trudeau even more powerful. Just for those who don't know, uh, Adam Vaughn is this guy. He used to be a TV journalist in Toronto, as his dad was before him. And I think he really, really misses being on TV every day. And he has a rapport with other journalists, of course, so he gives outlandish quotes that clearly weren't vetted by the party, but they seem to abide it. Maybe they like it. And, and here, he's saying Stephen Harper is still pulling the strings behind the scenes, still trying to run the country. Here, let me read a little more here. Vaughn argued that Ford's tactics are a carryover from the Harper government, pointing out that many of his former staff are now running the back rooms at Queen's Park. People in Toronto know that Harper is behind the scenes, that Ford is on the forefront, and that the only thing standing between Toronto and the deep blue sea is a liberal government up in Ottawa that's prepared to fix things in Toronto rather than break them, Vaughn said in a blistering attack on the Tories. Do you really think that Stephen Harper is behind the scenes? In Toronto, this quarrel that Adam Vaughn is talking about. For our viewers outside of Ontario, as you may know, the city of Toronto has 47 city councillors, 47. And they are each very, very important. Just, just ask them. And they each feel the need to weigh in on every question of importance or unimportance. And they each need to introduce their guests at City Hall and proclaim, I don't know, National Vegetarian Sandwich Day or whatever it is today. I mean, it's really like 47 different one-man political parties. Nothing gets done, but nothing gets done very slowly, very noisily, and very expensively. Doug Ford, the new Ontario Premier, he knows all about this because he used to be a city councillor in Toronto. He lived it, and so did his late brother, Rob Ford, who was a councillor until he became mayor, and he died of cancer. Can I show you my favorite Rob Ford video? So this is Doug's brother. Rob talked about the gravy train, that was his phrase all these city councillors, but also their hangers-on, the staff, the lobbyists, the bureaucrats, even the journalists, really. Adam Vaughn's kind of people. Look at this great video that Rob Ford did once about all that gravy. I've got all the free passes for councillors. I call them free perks that are tax-free, which is costing the taxpayers millions of dollars. So, let's start off. Um, free zoo pass. Toronto Zoo VIP pass. 
The VIP named on this card and his or her family will be granted parking, admission, and rides at the Toronto Zoo without charge. I can bring everybody in my family here to the zoo for free. The average person has to pay $15, $20 to get in, $10 or $15 to park, $5 or $10 a ride. The poor average family is paying $200. Counselors that are paying, uh, getting paid $100,000 get to get in for free. It's absolutely wrong. That's just the tip of the iceberg. 47 freeloaders. Did you know they got VIP passes to the zoo? And all those other cards were different freebies. That's why they're fighting so hard for their jobs, because all those perks. And an election is coming up just next month. So Doug Ford said, you know what? Mighty Los Angeles, an amazing city, a huge city, a sprawling city. They can survive with just 15 city councillors. Mighty Boston, a prestigious city, a banking city, city of the eastern seaboard. They survive with, I think, just 13 councillors, plus the mayor. Seattle, city of the new Pacific Northwest, city of, I don't know, Boeing and Apple. They have nine city councillors. Dallas, mighty oil patch city. They got 14 councillors. Maybe Toronto can get by on, say, 25 instead of 47. Anyway, so, so he passed this law, which is obviously very popular with the people. If you had a chance to get rid of excess population, uh, politicians, wouldn't you? I mean, is there any voting block, any party in the world that wouldn't go for less politicians if they could? Not just to save money, but to make the city function actually on a daily basis. Imagine a meeting with 47 different people quarreling. Anyways, a far-left judge overruled Doug Ford's shrinking of the city council, saying it was illegal. Obviously, it wasn't. Our Canadian Constitution clearly says cities are the creature of provincial governments, that's the word that's used, which means that provinces can change them, amend them, theoretically even fire every mayor in the province. It's their right. Yeah, that's just the law. I mean, if you don't like it, change the law. But a far-left judge thought he would change the law without running for office on that mandate. So Ford just invoked the notwithstanding clause, which overrules the judge. Again, perfectly legal. It's right there in the Constitution. Other governments in Canada, especially Quebec, have used the notwithstanding clause dozens of times. This is a perfect case for it. A partisan judge making a clearly erroneous ruling for clearly political purposes. Here's Ford hitting back. We're taking a stand. If you want to make new laws in Ontario or in Canada, you first must seek a mandate from the people and you have to be elected because it is the people who will decide what is in their best interest for this great province. Just in case anyone ever tells you that the notwithstanding clause is against the charter or it's rebuking the charter, just remind them it's part of the charter. Section 33. Anyway. Okay, back to Adam Vaughn. He thinks this is all some Stephen Harper conspiracy theory, that Stephen Harper is still calling the shots or pulling the strings or something, that the minute details of who gets the Toronto Zoo VIP pass is what keeps Stephen Harper up late at night, always has. Stephen Harper, who pretty much spent most of his life in Calgary obsessing over Toronto City Hall. Stephen Harper, prime minister for nine years who visited countless foreign countries, went to foreign summits, made grave decisions about war and peace and trade and alliances. What he's really doing in his retirement years is wargaming city hall issues in Toronto. What a kook that Adam Vaughn is. But let me just quote one more time from that story. Um, he called Ford, conservative leader Andrew Scheer, and Alberta Tory leader Jason Kenney, Harper's apostles, who share the former prime minister's approach to cities. Now, I think 
I think he's a little crazy, that Adam Vaughn, and I, I think he's a bit weird. And I can see why he was fired as Trudeau's parliamentary secretary for intergovernment affairs. He's a bit insane when it comes to premiers he doesn't like. Doug Ford, Jason Kenney's probably going to be Alberta's next premier. You can't quarrel that way if you want to get along with intergovernmental. So he was fired from that. He's a bit weird, bit, bit weird to obsess over Stephen Harper. To suggest you're going to campaign in the next federal election against Stephen Harper because some of his former staff are now working with Doug Ford and they're reining in Toronto politicians and there's a legal quarrel over it. That's it's a bit navel-gazing, a bit self-serving, a bit Toronto-centric. Not sure if fishermen in Newfoundland or oilmen in Alberta or foresters in BC will really care. Now, I don't really think that Adam Vaughn is right. I don't think Justin Trudeau is going to try to run against Stephen Harper in the next federal election. It's just too much of a stretch. It's just too obviously desperate. Stephen Harper has had a very low profile since he left public office three years ago. I don't think he's top of mind with voters, and I don't think he's the enemy in the mind of voters. In fact, if people actually do think of Stephen Harper anymore, and it's probably with more fondness than when he was in office. There, there were no scandals, no trade wars, no fiascos like Trudeau in India or wherever he's gone today. I think the selfie culture of Trudeau, the narcissism, the, the racial and gender quotas, the Islamophilia, I think is wearing thin. Harper's anti-charisma looks better as it ages. I think, as Manny Montenegrino tells us, if Trudeau's going to run against anyone, it'll be running against Donald Trump in the next election, not Harper. That's why Trudeau's picking fights with Trump. That's why Christia Freeland attended an anti-Trump rally in Toronto with this insane attack ad calling Trump a tyrant and comparing Trump to communist China and Vladimir Putin in Russia. I think that's a certainty that Trudeau's going to campaign against Trump. It's going to be either you're for Canada and Trudeau or you're for Trump and the Yanks. I think that's the pitch. But watching the weirdness of Adam, Adam Vaughn and, and watching the antics of Toronto City Council, something that is normally of no interest to anyone even a block away from Toronto City Hall building itself, but watching those insane antics dominate the national conversation so quickly, I think I realize what we're in for now. The anti-Trump mania, I think it's going to be a central theme of the left, of course, it already is. I, I think the bigger one, though, will be the delegitimization of Doug Ford or any other successful politicians. When Jason Kenney wins, as I expect he will. What I mean by that is the alt-left not working within the system, not being uh, accepting losing at the polls, but gumming up the system with lawsuits, with protests, with riots even. The insanity. I think that just like Canada's left is importing anti-Trump hysteria, they're going to now import the tactics they've seen used against Trump by the resistance. We're already starting to see it. In this shrinking of the Toronto City Council debate, the extremist judge uh, shut down the lawful use of the notwithstanding clause. Now that's turned into a circus, a freak show. Here, watch as the left-wing parties in Ontario, who were just given a drubbing in the provincial election, watch how they make the legislature literally ungovernable. That continued and it got worse and they could not proceed. They had to be escorted out by security. I'm talking about the opposition politicians. That's not democracy stopping a legislature. That's not quite a riot. What it really is, is a lame Canadian copy of the U.S. left's tactics against Trump. Just last week we saw something similar deployed against Donald Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court, Brett Kavanaugh. Remember this? Shut this hearing down. This hearing is an attack on women's rights and an attack on democracy. Shut this hearing down now. I urge you to 
indeed, Mark my words, that's coming here. That's what they're going to do to Doug Ford. Everything they've done to Donald Trump, they're going to do to Doug Ford. I think the fools in Congress and the fools in the opposition in Ontario's legislature know that their protests, whether it's just pounding on the tables or shouting, probably actually won't stop Brett Kavanaugh from being appointed to the Supreme Court and probably won't stop Donald Trump, excuse me, Doug Ford from shrinking Toronto City Council. But it does a few things. It distracts. It steps on the media coverage of the real successes of Trump, who has had many from his economic boom to foreign policy, and Doug Ford, who although he's only been premier for a few months, he's already ended cap and trade, stopped subsidies for green energy schemes, rolled back power prices, and sacked an out-of-control board of uh, hydro uh, electricity company here. Half a dozen real things. So it distracts, it bogs down Trump and Ford in litigation, just like the lawyers did with Rob Ford, if you recall, Doug Ford's brother, with all manner of nuisance suits. Uh, and, and most of all, it cements in the public mind, Trump equals chaos. Doug Ford equals chaos, and surely Andrew Scheer will too. In fact, those candidates on the right mean law and order, but that's not what the street team wants, the Antifa thugs. They want chaos on the streets, they want the public to associate conservative government with real pain, violence, the pain of seeing your country or your province become a civil war zone. That's what Black Lives Matter was about. If you don't give identity politics movements what they want, you'll have riots. That's what uh, the Occupy Wall Street shantytowns were, not just in the States, but in Canada, too. I guess what I'm saying is the upcoming election will be about anything other than Justin Trudeau's own achievements, because those achievements are so few and far between. Other than legalizing marijuana, and please tell me, other than connected liberal insiders, like the Liberal Party's former top financial officer, who happened to own a major marijuana company, who exactly was pushing for this? Show me a mum with a school-aged child who's happy about marijuana now being more freely available for her kids to have, as if it's not hard enough parenting teenagers already. But other than marijuana, what, what can Trudeau run on? His hated carbon tax, his foreign policy flops, his Syrian refugees, some accused of murder and sexual assault? Look at this headline. Quebec, known as a progressive province, is set to elect a party called the Coalition Avenir de Quebec, CAC based in large part on their opposition to open immigration and their opposition to the Muslim head covering, the hijab. That's the mood of real people in Canada. People aren't happy with Trudeau or provincial or municipal versions of Trudeau, which is why Trudeau wants his foil to be not Andrew Scheer, but Donald Trump. And when a conservative is accidentally elected, like Doug Ford was, or perhaps CAC's Francois Legault will be, don't let them for a minute govern. Riot, instead protest, litigate, storm out of parliament, cause a ruckus, interfere. That's what the left does. They actually tried that out with some success on Stephen Harper, too. They claimed with zero evidence that he stole the election through robocalls. It was an early version of Russia hacking the election through Facebook ads used against Donald Trump. Both accusations were lies, but that was the point. Anything to delegitimize conservatives. It's dirty. It's how the left fights. By which I mean it's how the media fights, too. It's why I'm worried about Andrew Scheer, and to a degree, Jason Kenney, too, although he's got such a head start. Um, Kenney, Andrew Scheer, they have Jeb Bush-itis, you know what I mean? Nice guys, but that's actually the problem. It takes a tough guy to beat the alt-left and the resistance. Trump was so tough, many conservatives are still shocked by his demeanor, but we see now that it works. That's the only thing strong enough to stop Hillary Clinton and her embedded campaigners in the media.
That's why we have a raucous hearing over Brett Kavanaugh instead of a polite hearing over a far-left Democrat judge, which would have happened if Hillary Clinton won. Doug Ford's classic style, ignore the media or berate the media, certainly go around the media, always ignore their clucking and, and their shushing. That's why we have Doug Ford as premier, not Andrea Horvath or the awful Kathleen Wynne. Doug Ford's actually off to a great start, but that will not last. The media liberal activist protester industrial complex is about to rev up. The left wing has lost Ontario, or at least the legislature. They still have the courts. They still have the media. They're going to lose Alberta. They'll probably lose Quebec. They'll do absolutely anything they can not to lose Prince Justin's re-election federally. It's going to be brutal. And it's going to be a lot tougher and smarter than Adam Vaughn's kooky advice. Stay with us for more. Welcome back. Well, it's incredible what you can find when you ask the federal government for documents that, you know, the CBC and CTV and Global Mail and the Media Party just won't ask. You know they won't ask about certain sensitive questions. Now, just because you ask the government for documents doesn't mean you'll get them. The number one move with the Justin Trudeau government when it comes to access to information documents is delay. We have some requests that have been delayed more than three years. Of course, when they finally do cough up the documents, they often black them out, redact them, or simply, whoops, forget to send others over. But still, you send in enough questions, you're bound to get some answers. And Sheila Gunn-Reed has had a trove of them lately. She joins us now via Skype from the Edmonton area. Sheila, great to see you again. Hey, Ezra, thanks for having me on. You have been breaking news almost every day based on laser-focused questions about Syrian refugees. Now, the fact that we're talking about this in 2018, and these refugees were rushed in in November, December 2015, goes to my point of how the government is slow-walking the facts, aren't they? They really are. And, you know, when we when we do finally get these documents, like you said, they're redacted. So often we have to ask a couple different ministries and try to put together the story of the redactions by meticulously going through these documents and comparing different memos to really get the full story. Yeah. The fact that it takes three years when, in fact, they're supposed to respond, I think, in 30 days shows the depth of corruption in the transparency of this government. And the fact that no other media care shows that they're going to get away with it, as they do with all their other ethics breaches. I mean, I, I can't believe, I think it's seven, six or seven times now that liberal cabinet ministers have been found to be in breach of the Conflict of Interest Act. And you wouldn't even know it. I mean, Mike Duffy went through a whole criminal trial because Nigel Wright, paid back money to the government that was in question. The, the crime there was paying back money, and there was no crime in the end he was acquitted. I can't believe what the media party lets the liberals get away with. Here's a question for you, Sheila. Before we get into the substance of what you found, you've had some huge scoops. We're about to hear them. Have any other media done what they often do when someone has a scoop, which is follow up on the story, take the story and run with it because it's such breaking news? No, of course not. I mean, it, and it's been that way all along with me and specifically with the rebel, even other people's stories. Remember when we uh, broke the story of the government 
buying luxury cars for so-called testing, um, environmental testing. Mm -hmm. We broke the story. The other media acknowledged that we broke the story. And then they flatly admitted they just won't take these stories and they won't follow up on them because the breaking news came from us. You know, that doesn't make any sense at all if your job is to tell the news. I mean, a story is a story. if it's factually true and interesting and, and newsworthy, who tells the story is secondary. It's actually irrelevant to the value of the news. And hey, take the story, steal it. I mean, give us credit for it if you have any ethics, but steal it. The fact that they would rather deny their viewers and audience the facts than to even tip their hat to our journalism shows why no one trusts the mainstream media anymore. Well, and, you know, we make it really easy for them to steal our stories because we do something that the rest of the main or that the mainstream media doesn't do. And when we file these access to information requests and when we get newsworthy documents back, we actually publish the document so that the people who are watching our coverage, they can see exactly what we're telling them. And the mainstream media, they can take these documents and run their own story, even spin it their own way. But they refuse to do it because the information came from us. And then they wonder why there's another round of layoffs plaguing the mainstream media. And that's just the public prosecuting them for their dereliction of duty. Yeah. Well, we set up a website and it has one of these key documents right on there. And that that's useful for our viewers who want to go deep and see for themselves. It's useful for skeptics who say that can't be true. They can see the primary doc- document themselves. And I think it's just good practice. We've set up a website called 50,000 Dot ca. Now, there's no comma in it, as people probably know. There's no commas in, in websites. So if you just type in 50000.ca, we've got one of your breaking stories. Tell our viewers why 50000.ca is the website name we've chosen. Well, we discovered through access to information documents, despite the government's efforts to hide this from other queries like those from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, that $50,000 is the amount in cash aid, direct cash aid from the federal government provided to refugee families. And the government used a family of four as their baseline, when we know that there were more families of seven and eight and even nine coming than there were families of four. So that's the name of the website, 50,000.ca. And the reason I found it so outrageous was not only the fact that the government was actively trying to hide that and we could see it in the documents where they were editing their talking points in real time saying, we're not going to tell the public this amount. Mm -hmm. But it was so shocking to me that the government right now continues to fight Canadian veterans in court Mm -hmm. and Canadian service members have to use the food bank at Christmas time because we are not compensating them the way they need to be. And I found it so outrageous. So I started a petition to the government asking them to treat Canadian veterans and active service members as well as they treat migrant families who've done, I don't know, the hard work of landing on a plane or dragging their luggage across the border. Yeah. Um, $50,000 cash, that doesn't account for health care, education, welfare, medicine, any other social services they get. That's just on the cash side. What gets me is 
if the government is doing something and then actively hiding it, and to me that's the biggest takeaway, to have confirmation that they're spending 50,000 bucks cash per family is shocking but not surprising. But I think the true proof of the lack of ethics in Trudeau's government here is that they know what they're doing is so wrong in the eyes of the public, but instead of changing what they're doing, their top priority is to hide it, to cover it up, to, to deceive, to obfuscate, to get the fog machine going. That's right there in the documents. The uh, Trudeau's bureaucrats arguing, don't say $50,000, don't say the word, don't say the word, don't make it easy for people to find out the truth about what we're doing. That shows they know what they're doing is immoral. Yeah, it shows for once, uh, albeit gross, it's a, you know, an admission, it's self-awareness that we don't often see in this government that uh, they realize that if the Canadian public knew this number, that Canadian families who are going to work and dropping their kids off at daycare and working really hard every day just to take home this same amount, if they found out about this, they would be absolutely outraged. And again, radio silence from the mainstream media. But, you know, yesterday I did a story that uncovered exactly why that is. The uh, Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship uh ministry was actually actively looking to hire uh, unemployed and recently laid off journalists to act as spin doctors for Operation Syrian Refugee. And of course, of course, word gets around in the mainstream media about who's hiring and right. why. So, I mean, if if all the coverage recently of uh, the murder of Marissa Shen and Operation Syrian Refugee feels a little bit like a cover letter for a job in the government, that's because it really is. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it's bad enough that the actual majority of working news journalists in Canada work for the state broadcaster right now. The CBC is larger in news reportage than all other private media combined. So their direct effect is awful. The effect it has on every journalist worried about losing their job is awful because they're all tailoring their work to suck up to the CBC's ideological uh, tone. But then for this extra layer, we'll come work for the Liberals directly. And by the way, you'll probably make a lot more money working directly. I mean, a communications director for a Liberal cabinet minister is probably in the $130,000 to $150,000 range. I know that sounds insane, but it's true. So. Basically, the only people hiring in Canada for news journalists these days are the state broadcaster or the state. And you can tell, I was just uh, saying in Battleground earlier today, my, my live noontime show, to get any controversial news about Canada, you need to go to the foreign press, because they're the only ones not trying to get a job with Trudeau or Trudeau CBC. Yeah, some of the most excellent reporting about the Syrian refugee responsible for allegedly for the murder of Marissa Shen has come from the South China Morning Post. Um, and the South China Morning Post, again, was breaking news about birth tourism that's now become relevant in Canadian politics. These are things the local reporters um, where these stories are breaking aren't touching because they want to hold true to the government narrative. The government, 
during Operation Syrian Refugee, they were hiring media relations persons quicker than they were hiring CBSA officers to screen people at the border mm -hmm. because for them, protecting the narrative was more important than can protecting the Canadian public. Isn't that incredible? And now there's a girl dead in Vancouver mm -hmm. and one of mm -hmm. Trudeau's Syrians is charged with first degree murder. You mentioned the South China Morning Post. Uh, it's a very interesting newspaper. I mean, it, it's, an, it's a very, very old and, and reputable Hong Kong newspaper that was really a leading business paper. And it's maintained its reputation after Hong Kong was reabsorbed by communist China. It's still, I, I think most people would say it's reputable, it's fair, and it's in, independent because Hong Kong is treated differently than mainland China. So they're used to pressure from governments trying to bully them. Hong Kong is, is pretty free. I'd say Hong Kong, even 20 years after being reabsorbed by China, I'd say it's pretty free. And I would say that their coverage of Chinese Canadian issues, that's why they're going so heavy on this, because it was a Chinese Canadian girl, Marissa Shen, who was murdered. Um, I'd say their coverage of the murder of Marissa Shen in Vancouver is superior to that of Canadian journalists, precisely because the Hong Kong newspaper is used to pushing back against governments trying to bully them. And if they can push back against the Chinese Communist Party, it's easy for them to push back against the losers uh, in, in the Canadian government. Isn't it interesting that uh, the South China Morning Post is less like Pravda than the CBC right now, especially with regard to any sort of um, uh, critical coverage of the entire Syrian refugee issue. Yeah, it's incredible. And, you know, anytime there's a gaffe or an embarrassment, whether it was Trudeau's people kind comment, whether it was new news about him groping that female reporter in Creston, BC, whether it was the news about his dancing in India fiascos, everyone in the Canadian media circuit knew those stories. They either said, oh, that's not news, or they came up with intricate and complicated excuses for why they didn't cover it. Each of those stories I just listed to you was covered in the United Kingdom, the United States, and Australia before it was covered by the mainstream media in Canada. I should say each of those stories, we at The Rebel covered them, but we are being marginalized in Canada in the ways that you've described. Well, yeah, I mean, but like we discussed earlier, Canadian journalists are tailoring their coverage to act as resumes and cover letters for jobs in the government because that is the only secure place for a journalist right now in this media landscape, unless you're an independent journalist offering something new and, you know, for once speaking truth to power. And that just doesn't happen in the mainstream media. Yeah, it's very interesting. Well, listen, we're grateful for all our supporters who make our independent journalism possible. <clears throat> And for folks who haven't gone there yet, I recommend they go to 50,000.ca. That's simply 50000.ca to see that primary document and to look elsewhere on our website for the rest of your great reports. Thanks very much, Sheila. Thanks, Ezra. All right, there you have it. Sheila Gunn-Reed, our Alberta bureau chief, but of course she writes about things of national and sometimes international importance. In fact, um, I haven't uh, finalized things with Sheila, but I hope that she will be attending uh, the uh, United Nations Global Warming Conference, as happens every year. This year it's in Poland. Maybe I'm talking pre pre prematurely about it. We've got to make sure Sheila's good to go for that, but I hope she will. She's gone um, to Bonn, Germany, and Marrakesh, Morocco. So she is a Jill of all trades. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel.
Hey, welcome back. On my monologue yesterday where I gave my predictions about what will happen if NAFTA expires without signing a new deal, Bruce writes, Trudeau is absolutely reprehensible. Nothing but his ambition matters. Thousands of Canadians could lose their jobs, but they don't matter to him. Well, you know, I thought maybe I'm getting this wrong. Maybe I'm uh, seeing what I not want to see, but what I expect to see from Trudeau. Maybe I'm imposed, projecting is the word. But yesterday in Saskatoon, Justin Trudeau was asked about Christia Freeland attending this taking on the tyrant uh, rally in Toronto. And he said he approved of her being there. That's, that, you can't mistake that s signal. Uh, someone with a nickname Revelation writes, Mexico and Canada will trade prices. You watch. Well, look, we'll always be culturally closer to America, historically closer, linguistically closer, economically closer. Mexico is quite poor. Uh, you know, there's so many ways we'll be closer to America than Mexico, even without NAFTA. But what fool finds a pearl on, on the beach and throws it back into the sea? Do you know what I mean by that? Canada had everything just by luck because we're next to America. And we've thrown it away. We didn't need a quarrel with Trump. Trump didn't care about Canada. He never thought about Canada. Trade, we had balanced trade. NATO, yeah, he, he gave us a little zing because we didn't pay enough, but it wasn't high on his agenda. Germany was higher, France, Britain, Mexico, China was higher on his agenda. Iran, North Korea. Why Justin Trudeau made a fight with the biggest brawler in the world is something I think historians will never understand. On my interview with Breitbart's senior technology correspondent, Alan Bokhari, about the Google videotape, Paul writes, this Google video is all over the internet at this point. Google and the rest of the far left big tech outlets have been telling everyone they're not biased. Nobody has been buying it. And now Breitbart has proven the lie. It is being shared on social media. When you say it's all over the internet, I think that's actually a statement of where you are looking, you find it. But I don't think it's all over the internet. I think it's only in places where maybe conservatives go because uh, although Alum did say the New York Times mentioned it and I saw CNN mention it, it has not received its proper place. I put it to you that if, I don't know, after George W. Bush had won, there was a secret staff tape from ExxonMobil talking about, ha we're going to get oil money. Or the opposite, after Obama won, if some conservative-oriented company had this group cry in, die in, and, and said we're going to, as a company, change, fight back, that would be enormous news forever. There would be investigations, there would be shareholders' revolts, there would be litigation. So. Yeah, I mean, this got more publicity than I thought, and Alum said that. He said the New York Times covered it. But I think that had this been roles reversed, had this been some large publicly into, uh, interactive company lamenting Obama's win, we would never have heard the end of it. And I put it to you, the CEO would already be fired. Well, that's the show for today, and that means for this week, we have things over the weekend as usual. I don't know if you checked it out yet, but we've had a lot of good responses to my, uh, well, it was two hours, sit down with Tommy Robinson last week when I went to the UK for a few hours. If you haven't seen that yet, you can find that elsewhere on our website, therebel.media slash Tommy Robinson. I encourage you to watch it. Um, not just if you care about the UK. Of course, if you care about the UK, follow it. Of course, if you care about Tommy Robinson, follow it. But follow it, watch it, to know what's coming to Canada in five years. I promise you, whenever I go to the UK in return, 
I think I have seen the ugly future that we are on track for if we continue on our path. On behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.